Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Today is a different kind of episode, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm doing this. You can tell from the title that this is a pregnancy update. A lot of you have been asking specific questions about this pregnancy and our plans and preparations or just generally how it's going, how I'm feeling, uh, what's changed in terms of nutrition or movement. And so I wanted to answer all of those questions, but instead of... um, having them be in the Saturday Q&A. I thought I would have one episode. That way, those of you who are interested in this kind of stuff can listen, and those of you who are not interested can move right along to the next thing, because I know some people are very interested and others are like, not only do I not care, I don't want to hear it. So if this is your thing, cool. I'm about to share it all. And if you have questions based on anything I say or I don't share, don't hesitate to reach out and ask um, because I'm happy to do another update as I get further along. So as it stands right now, as I record this, I'm right on the cusp of the third trimester. Thank God. And uh, overall, I would say things are going well. Physically, things are going well. Emotionally, it's challenging, and I expected that uh, to the extent that you can really expect those kinds of things. So let me just set a little bit of context here for those of you who maybe haven't heard me talk about this pregnancy. Um, I think most of you, if you're listening to this episode, know that I was pregnant last year as well, had a pretty unremarkable pregnancy, um, delivered a beautiful baby girl just past my due date brought her home. Um, and aside from like, she wasn't, she wasn't back to her birth weight, uh, and nursing was a big challenge. Otherwise, you know, we thought we were having a fairly normal newborn experience. And then she died at 14 days old, um, after being ill for less than, well, about a day, about a day, day and a half. So then I found out I was pregnant again, I believe it was exactly six months to the day she was born. I I don't believe that it was six months to the day that she died. I think it was six months, exactly six months to the day that she was born is when I found out uh, that I was expecting again. So the first couple of trimesters were physically marked by thyroid issues that for at least the first trimester, probably into the second, definitely into the second trimester, I had no idea there was any issue with my thyroid. And I've talked about this a little bit on the show when I've done thyroid specific episodes more recently, but everything I was feeling, I thought was either a result of being pregnant or before I knew I was pregnant, I thought it was a postpartum thing or I thought it was a grief thing, right? Because there's been just a lot of 
anxiety and depression and all of that following the loss of Dagny. So when I was feeling extreme fatigue, I was like, well, I'm pregnant, you know, there's that. Um, Constant headaches. I, all the research I had done said that oftentimes when you carry a boy, you have more headaches um, and I'm expecting a boy. So I was like, okay, maybe this is just with Dagny. I had a lot of nausea and vomiting. I haven't really had a lot of that with this pregnancy. So I thought, well, this is just a different experience of pregnancy and I didn't think much more of it. Lesson learned there. Um, Before I got pregnant the second time and even into the first trimester, I wasn't losing the baby weight from Dagny, but that wasn't even an alarm for me because of the stress around Dagny's loss, Dagny's death. I thought, you know, and I knew because I had done the Dutch test that my cortisol levels were super high. And I thought, okay, just this isn't a time. This is more of a survival time. And in a survival time, your body is not going to readily let go of the baby weight. So while that was certainly not ideal and definitely annoying at times, I didn't think much of it. And then when I started gaining weight, I was like, well, I mean, I'm pregnant again, and I know that things happen more quickly in subsequent pregnancies. And and so all of these things were happening, headaches, fatigue, hunger cravings, trouble sleeping, trouble losing weight, then weight gain, and all of them seemed very logical and rational and also (laughs) related to thyroid issues and I had extreme thyroid dysfunction. Like my numbers were were off the charts, like multiple times outside of the normal limit. And so because if you had, and my issue is hypothyroid or, or low or slow thyroid function as opposed to hyper, which is an overactive thyroid, my, my thyroid has been underactive. Now, if that remains an issue and goes unchecked throughout the duration of a pregnancy, it can affect the baby's growth. So not an option. Uh, I started on Synthroid and they started me on a pretty low dose, kept testing. Thyroid function still was abnormal. They kept increasing the dose. Now where we stand at this point in about the third trimester, um, it seems like we've we've hit a good dose. However, I still get my thyroid levels checked every three to four weeks, usually every three weeks, because with the hormonal changes associated with pregnancy, what works today might not work in two or three weeks, right? So uh, we've had, I would say the last five weeks, we haven't upped the dose again. So that's a good thing. But I also know that that very well may change. I also anticipate that this is very much a, a pregnancy postpartum combination issue. And I and I trust that my thyroid will normalize and there are lots of things that I can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective that'll be more effective when not influenced by the hormonal shifts of postpartum and pregnancy um, and extreme stress. So I'm confident that this Synthroid won't be a forever thing, but I'm also like, I don't need to I don't need to figure that out right now. I don't need to worry about that right now for today. It is helping for today. It is necessary. So for today, we take the pill. You know, I think a lot of people 
get caught up and I, I won't even like this isn't like a, a teach you podcast it's an update you podcast but I think a lot of us get sucked into that like oh my god is this gonna mean I'm gonna be on it forever and is this gonna like we don't have to deal with forever today we got to deal with today today and so that's been a really great uh thing for me my sense is that it's working, not, not only objectively, I see the lab values and those things normalizing and whatnot, but I'm definitely not as fatigued as I was, uh, even though at this phase of pregnancy, pff, sleep is sleep is a pipe dream, but we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, I'm not a great pregnant sleeper in general, but things have normalized. I have more energy. Um, I'm back to working out regularly, daily, and I'll talk more about that, but I definitely think that it's, that it's having a positive effect. And that's individual, right? We won't go into that because that's all, that's all very individual. All right. So the good, the bad, the ugly, and then I'll give you a little bit of an update on body, on mind, on my plans. The good, the most important good is that so far baby is healthy. I've shared with you guys that I've transferred my care to a bigger city hospital system. Not because I I don't think I got good care here on Cape Cod where I live. I I do. I feel very good about the care that I got and that Dagny got uh, when I delivered. There's no issues there. However, the hospital nearest to me will not allow you to attempt or proceed with a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, because Dagny was delivered by emergency cesarean, not because of her issues, because I spiked a fever um, while I was in labor. So if you deliver inside of 18 months, so less than 18 months from a C-section, the hospital nearest to me uh, will not allow you to attempt a vaginal birth after a C-section. So that was the primary factor for me transferring my care. Uh, but every time I go and get checked up, things look good with baby. And the beautiful thing about this phase of pregnancy is that you can feel movement. And so that's a really wonderful reassurance throughout the day that like, he's good. He's good. So the, the best part of all of this is that so far, baby is, is doing well. Um, and you know, I was having daily headaches for the first, I would say, four months, just all day long a headache. And um, I haven't really had many headaches lately. So that's that's another part of the good for sure. And I'm sure that has to do with getting the, the thyroid stuff checked out. The bad. I mean, it's all relative, right? Um, I have pregnancy-induced carpal tunnel, which is tricky as a writer and somebody who works on my computer a lot and I'm actively writing my next book and I do my editing by hand and that that can be tricky. It's actually not as bad when I'm working as it is when I'm trying to sleep. Um, That is when my hands uh, and my fingers especially just go numb, but not not like a just you can't feel them numb, like a kind of a painful tingle, uh, which is very, very common. And, uh, you know, before you come with all the suggestions, I've I've read them. The wrist wraps and compression stuff doesn't really help, but position helps. So I've found that if I sleep on the couch or in a chair, I have less of that than if I sleep in my bed. What's interesting is we bought a new bed 
because we renovated the upstairs. We needed some new furniture. We bought a new bed and it's an adjustable bed, which I thought was going to be amazing for pregnancy because you can like tilt the head up. So you're a little bit more upright, which is kind of ideal. And I had been prior to getting this bed, like propping myself up with pillows, which is annoying because every time you move, they shift. And I was constantly adjusting pillows. So I thought, this is going to be great. And if, hey, if it helps to sleep inclined in a chair on the couch, now I can sleep slightly inclined in the bed. For some reason, it's not the same. Even when I incline the the head of the bed, I still have the like extreme carpal tunnel issues that prevents me from sleeping. But when I sleep on the couch or on the chair downstairs, I have much less of that. So that's basically what's happening every single night, um, which is, you know, annoying, but it's fine. Not much sleep. That's probably the bad. The ugly, no surprise, I'm sure, for any of you listening or who have been around for a while. The ugly is just the merging. And, and it's interesting, too, because perspective, I can call it ugly, but I can also have appreciation for it and I can have understanding for it. So I'm kind of categorizing that way, but I don't... I don't think that's all that it is. It's certainly much more than that. And that's just the the merging of grief and sadness that Dagny's not here with optimism, cautious optimism, slightly reserved optimism about this new baby. And there's just a lot of like mixed, mixed stuff there. I think I shared on social media. Maybe I didn't. I don't remember. Uh, we we renovated our whole upstairs, right? I've been talking about that for a while and it wrapped up a few weeks ago and um, my my husband and some of his friends moved all of the furniture back in. And so we had taken all of the furniture from Dagny's nursery and put it on a storage unit on the property and they moved it all back in. And I was kind of upstairs directing them where to go and it it hit me like a freight train Fortunately, I hadn't really thought about it much before. Like, is this going to be a tough thing? Is this going to be an exciting thing? Am I going to be glad to see the furniture come into the new nursery? Am I going to be, you know, hurt by it? Whatever. I hadn't really thought much about it. And it just hit me like a freight train, you know, her crib and her dresser and her car seats and and all of this stuff. And it was just, it was tough. It was tough because on the one hand, I'm preparing a nursery for this boy and that's, that's a gift and it's wonderful and it's positive. And on the other hand, it's super, super painful. And I know I did share it on social media now that I think about it because somebody messaged me and said, just don't think about it as her stuff. Think about it as this new baby stuff. And I just responded, no, thank you. Like, (laughs) A, don't need your advice. B, I'm not trying to pretend that she didn't exist. I'm not trying to like trick my brain into like, this isn't Dagny's car seat. This is the new baby's car seat. The fact is, it's both, and I want to remember it as Dagny's. The last thing in the world that I want to do is think of her less. Yes, it is incredibly painful to think of her, but I wouldn't trade that for not thinking of her, you know? Um, it's also it's also beautiful in a lot of ways. You know, I have very, very positive, happy fulfilling memories of when she was born and having her home and all of that, you know, the, the, the loss, the devastation was a fractional part of her time here. And even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't, 
I don't want to pretend that it wasn't hers. And so making space for both of those things um, is ugly a lot of the time. Not all of the time, but it is It is a lot of the time. Body-wise, oh, please, let's talk about body stuff. Oh, geez louise. So I've, I've shared that... Um, I, I gained a lot of weight when I was pregnant with Dagny and I, I like there's there's no secret as to why um I ate very differently for a lot of my pregnancy with Dagny I had extreme aversions to protein and vegetables and what sounded good what felt good what I could keep down were like simple carbohydrates I ate my body weight <laughs> in things like saltine crackers, uh, Cheerios, things that I hadn't eaten in forever. And it was one of those things like as it was happening, I wasn't concerned about gaining weight because look, it's a, it's a temporary thing. And I knew that once I delivered her that I wouldn't have the nausea and the vomiting and all of that kind of stuff. And so it was just like, look, we we do what we do and we do our best. And I took my supplements. And if I felt like there was a day where I could eat chicken and vegetables, I ate chicken and vegetables. And if there was a day where chicken and vegetables made me throw up and Cheerios didn't, I ate Cheerios. What I didn't anticipate was, of course, her death and the hormonal complexities of grief and trauma as well as postpartum. I'm not surprised that the weight didn't come off and I'm only sometimes annoyed. So now I'm at this I'm in this position where I gained a fair amount of weight. Like let's call it let's call it 45 pounds. Honestly, I don't know if it was 40 pounds. It certainly wasn't 50 pounds, but it, let's call it in that family. It might have been 38, but let's just call it let's call it 45 pounds just to be whatever. Um then <laughs> I conceived again. And my thyroid was out of whack. So I've gained far less weight in this pregnancy. And I don't know the number. I would share it if I did. But when I go in, they don't tell me. I don't ask. Um, we haven't had any like serious discussions about careful. We haven't had any discussions, my, my care team and I, about weight gain. So, And I trust that they would tell me if there's an issue. I have gained weight in this pregnancy, not nearly as much as I had gained at this point with Dagny. Um, but in the in my head, I know intellectually, I was a lot heavier when I conceived this baby than I was when I conceived Dagny, and my weight's not going down. It's going up. It's going up slowly and more slowly than with Dagny, especially because, uh, more slowly, especially because I haven't had the food aversions, the nausea, and the vomiting. I've had some. Like, we have lobster traps. We live on Cape Cod, so we live near the water. We have lobster traps that Chris and his friend pull, and so he's always bringing home lobster. I can't stand the smell of it, and I don't really care to eat it right now, but generally speaking, I have been able to eat very much the same way. I have my cabbage bowls for breakfast. I have protein and veggies for dinner, so that's great. I've been a little bit more flexible and loose with, you know, like craving something sweet or whatnot. I'm, I'm definitely not as like rigid with nutrition as I have been in the past, but I'm eating a lot more like my normal self in this pregnancy than before. But what still exists is I was significantly heavier when I conceived this baby than I was when I conceived Dagny, and I haven't been losing weight in this pregnancy. I've just been gaining slowly. Um, 
But what I tell myself, as annoying as it is when the pants don't fit or, you know, any of those things compounded with you get bigger faster in subsequent pregnancies, like I felt like I was showing at six or seven weeks with this pregnancy where I I definitely wasn't with Dagny, which is all normal as a function of subsequent pregnancies, but also getting pregnant so quickly after a previous pregnancy. Anyway, if my biggest health issue right now, and it's not even a health issue, if my biggest concern with my physical body is my weight, I'm lucky, right? I'm lucky. This isn't a season of being as, as lean as I've ever been. This isn't a season for being concerned about weight loss. Even pregnancy aside, pregnancy aside, being inside of a year of losing a child, like it's just not my concern. And I know that there are people online who see pictures, who see my videos, who are like, oh, she looks a little rounder. It's true. It's fine. That's what's fine for me. It might not be fine for, for the people who are observing that. But if that's my biggest like physical concern, then I feel kind of blessed and fortunate. I also trust the way that I, that I eat, knowing that when my hormones normalize, when I'm not pregnant, as the grief process continues, that I'll work with my body to lose the extra weight and feel really comfortable. Because, you know, even, even though emotionally, though I do get frustrated, emotionally I'm, I'm accepting of the weight gain. Um, I don't feel as good in my body. It doesn't feel as good to work out carrying this extra weight as it did not carrying it. But I, I trust my ability to get back to a place where I feel really good physically and emotionally. And also, I actually see a lot of benefit in being able to go through that process and to share that process. This is life. I don't, just like in business, I don't expect things to be perfectly linear, like every quarter gets better than the next. And the fact is, revenue-wise, it often does. But we've had quarters where we've been flat or we've been down, or quarters where we've seen great growth, followed by quarters where we haven't seen as great growth. We've had quarters where we're hiring. We've had quarters where people are leaving. I don't expect business to be linear. I don't expect finances to be linear, right? When I when I have investments in the stock market, I don't think that every day, every month, every quarter, they're going to go up. I know realistically that there's going to be ups and downs. And I think that's very true with the weight journey. So in my in my most vulnerable, usually most tired, most insecure moments, I can judge myself harshly. But then I'm like, this is part of life. This is part of my life. This is part of a journey. This is part of a process. And I see a lot of value in not only going through that for myself, by myself, with myself, but also here in this community and sharing it and talking about it and being really honest about it and not being ashamed of it. I see a lot of value. I'll also say that in terms of things like what I eat on a daily basis or not overindulging. A couple things that help me a lot on a day-to-day basis just to not be in that mode of like 
sure, what the heck, I'll have mozzarella sticks and ice cream. (laughs) Two things that help me a lot are meditation and journaling. So in the, specifically in the Change Makers journal that I use, that I recently made available, there's a, there's a part where we have one primary goal for a month, right? And, and, and it's okay if it's for more than a month. It's okay if it's for less than a month. But my, right now, my primary goal is to be incrementally healthier today than I was yesterday, okay? Then what, what the Changemakers Journal allows me to do is identify three action steps that I'll take each day, but not, I don't have to declare them for tomorrow or next week. I'm just identifying them for just today. Three action steps I'm going to take today, just today, whether or not I repeat them tomorrow is irrelevant, to further that goal. So for me, I'll write things like, workout or I'll write things like, uh, and, and I say specifically what the workout will be. Um, I write things like what I'm going to eat that day. And that's, that's like the plan. That's what I'm going to do. And I always add in a contingency for like, if I want something more, if I feel hungry today, for example, in my, in my plan of what I'm going to eat, I have sort of off to the side pear, yogurt. Meaning if I'm feeling snacky or sometimes I just get this raw hunger feeling that doesn't feel good in pregnancy, it feels a lot worse in pregnancy than it does outside of pregnancy, that like that's what I'm going to go for. I'm not going to go for Triscuits, pretzels, Swedish fish. You know, none of those things are in the house right now, but oftentimes Chris will bring them home from work. Um, That's what I'm going to go for. That helps me a ton. That helps me so much. I have been working out more too, and that helps. For a long time, I had the intention to work out at different phases of pregnancy, but two issues. Number one, physically, I felt so bad in terms of fatigue and the headaches and that sort of stuff. Um, And I think that fear and anxiety was influencing me a little bit differently at that point. But now I write in the daily action steps portion for that primary goal in the Changemakers Journal, and I'll say like, 20 minute ride on the Peloton and then I'll put something like 50 kettlebell swings or 50 ground to overhead or something like that. Now the key for me that works really well and everybody's different. This did not this was not how I approached working out not pregnant, but it's working really well for me in pregnant pregnancy. I keep it really really simple. So a 20 minute ride on the Peloton is like fast and easy and you basically get on and you, you've got 15 minutes to go, right? Um, and I could do that walking outside, whatever. It's a little tricky around here in this area where I live right now. It's very cold. I'm not outside as much. Um, and a lot of things aren't open in Massachusetts. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. With the lifting stuff, because lifting is very, very important to me, I'm not somebody that's ever going to be like, oh yeah, just cardio is it. No, no, no. Lifting is incredibly important. But instead of doing a full CrossFit workout or putting myself through, you know, a 20 minute AMRAP, I'll literally pick one movement and I'll set a number of reps. And oftentimes I'll do them throughout the day. Sometimes I'll knock them out all at once if I'm feeling really ambitious, but it's fine with me. If I say I'm going to do 50 heavy kettlebell swings, it's totally fine with me if I do 10 kettlebell swings over a period of three hours and I just do 10 on my way to the bathroom or whatever it is, that breaking it down very simply and the Changemakers Journal has helped me with that, 
that's kind of been my approach to movement. So I am presently exercising every day, but I wasn't earlier in my pregnancy. And who knows what I'll be doing in three or four weeks, but that's kind of the way that it goes. So on a typical day, I'll do a 20-minute Peloton ride and I'll do some kind of weightlifting movement. Sometimes it's two things. Let's say it's 50-50. 50% of the time, it's more than one thing. 50% of the time, it's only one thing. It's not a lot. It's, It's a little, and I'm cool with that, right? The mindset piece factors into the body stuff a lot. I mean, it's giving me a lot of opportunity to practice because sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't like the way I look, right? Not only do I have the big pregnancy belly, which I don't dislike, but my boobs are, uh, I would say, unattractively large for my own aesthetic, right? Like, I don't look at these large pregnancy boobs and go, oh, that's hot. No, no, like, (laughs) I don't really like it. Um, But more than that, too, like, my butt feels, looks bigger, feels bigger, all of those kinds of things. Um, And... I don't love it. I sometimes hate it. Okay, true, like real, real story. So I did a bunch of laundry and I had it all set out and folded, um, but not put away. And I got out of the shower and I just grabbed from the, one of the top of the piles a pair of sweatpants that happened to be Chris's. And I was like, are you kidding me? My husband's sweatpants don't feel like big. And in my mind, I'm remembering a time when, you know, putting on Chris's sweatpants, I'd be swimming in them. And here I am like clearly not swimming in them. And my first thought was like, well, they are just like right out of the wash, which, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. But then I very quickly am like, I'm heavier, right? This is not just, God bless all the people that have belly only pregnancies. I gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy with Dagny. I didn't lose it. I'm pregnant again. And then I go back to, if this is my primary physical issue, what a gift that is. Seriously, I'll take it. What a gift that is. And not only do I trust in my ability to create a change there, I see value in in navigating this. I see value and opportunity in going through this and getting to practice all of the tools that I talk about all of the time and getting to share the journey and the process with you. So, you know, like that, that's, that's the mindset practice. It doesn't mean that I don't have moments where I, I literally look at myself and hate the way that I look, but it's in those moments. It's not trying to avoid those moments. The goal is not to eliminate those moments. It's the human brain, doing what the human brain does. And I also think it's a reflection of how important it is for me to look and feel good in my body, right? Like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The key is how do we respond to it? If I respond with, oh my God, I'm so disgusting. Like, I've blown it. I worked so hard to lose all this. Come on. That drama is not going to serve me. What matters is how I respond there. And I'm constantly in a practice of responding to that well. Last thing to address questions about kind of our plans from here and what we're hoping for, as I've shared a number of times before, I think I mentioned it here, uh, I would love to have a VBAC. Now, I will say that I've gotten some uh, over-the-line messages about this, and everybody's line is different, so let me be very clear. Uh, One person uh, shared with me that 
my desire for a, a VBAC could put this baby at risk. No, I, that's that's ridiculous. I will not put this baby at risk. My medical team will not put this baby at risk. And I just, I don't, I don't love somebody feeling like they can say that. Um, generally speaking, just as a caveat, my sense is, and everybody has different standards, but I'll happily share my standard with you guys. If you have advice or opinion about something as sensitive as pregnancy or loss, ask somebody before you give it, right? Because I love conversation, but the challenge is when somebody just messages me out of the blue, they don't know if I'm having a moment where I'm sitting on the floor holding Dagny's ashes, crying my eyes out, and I get up and I check Instagram and there's this this thing like, I'm... you know, just be cautious with people. If you have advice or an opinion, ask if that person wants to hear it. Because especially in this day and age of social media and podcasting and this, that, and the other thing, oftentimes what happens is people feel like they have a very close relationship. Like we're buddies, we're pals, but the person on the other end might not feel that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that's just a very real thing. So, so I kind of say that especially as I talk about our intentions and our plans, obviously myself, my husband, our care team is not going to do anything that's going to put the baby at risk. And I don't think that there is anything wrong with a C-section. To be very transparent, the reason that I would prefer a VBAC is because our hope, our prayer is to have a big family. So as I'm sure everybody knows, risks get higher with multiple C-sections because you're just screwing with the integrity of the uterus, which look, it can be fine. It can be great. People have two, three, heck, some people have four or five C-sections, but it's not ideal because conception can get trickier with scar tissue. Delivery can get trickier because you just, you don't have the same integrity of the uterus when you cut it open multiple times. So purely for our desire to have a large family, and I understand that there are limitations to that because I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not having this conversation with you at 25 years old by any stretch of the imagination. Um, That is why we would like to do that. I think based on as best they can estimate these things, I have about a 50-50 chance of being able to have a VBAC. Um, Having not had a vaginal birth before, the recency of my C-section, all of those different factors come into play and many more. And it's fine. If if I have a C-section and this baby's healthy, it's fine. My preference is a VBAC. So that is, you know, what we're, what we're hoping for. And so a lot of visualization goes into that. A lot of prayer goes into that. Um, I also, from my pregnancy with Dagny, developed diastasis recti, uh, which is a separation of the abdominals kind of down the middle. If you think about Imagine that person you've seen with with like six eight pack abs. You know how there's a line down the middle. Basically, that line down the middle kind of pulls apart and gets wider, and that can happen throughout from top to bottom. It can happen at the top. It can happen at the bottom. It can happen in the middle. Um, and that there are a lot of challenges with that. It certainly can be can be overcome, which is where I'm going. Uh, but one of the challenges is if you think about it like a zipper, right? If you think of that line down the center of your abdominals as a zipper, if there's like a broken part of the zipper or it's unzipped a little bit or it's unzipped, you know, all the way to the extent that in this analogy, it can be unzipped all of the way, there's not as much 
containment there. And uh, so one of my objectives is consistently doing uh, some physical therapy type exercises to to heal the diastasis as best I can in pregnancy, but really more, more accurately, though I do believe it's possible to heal it during pregnancy, my primary goal is just to not let it get any worse during this pregnancy. So, um, and you can, you can Google, uh, PT for diastasis and, and you can see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. There isn't one near me. Um, and I haven't made an appointment to go see one up in Boston, but, um, there are some different, different exercises that I've been doing to, to kind of keep that in check. But that is where we stand. He is kicking and rolling as I record this for you guys. I feel very grateful to be at this phase in pregnancy and to have him be doing well so far. Uh, I also have a lot of trauma around not only the notion of of this pregnancy, but um, his birth and bringing him home and all of that. And so it's a constant, the work I do, I do on myself as well, right? It's, It's constantly coming back to I want to make space for the grief and I also want to make space for the fear, but I want to moderate the fear so that I'm being responsible with it. And that is the essence of like the daily mindset upgrades, the essence of the work that we do in the 12 weeks to transformation and becoming a better thinker. I don't want to eliminate the fear. The fear is, uh, I don't even know the best, it's, it's complex the fear is well-informed. It's not invented. There's reason for it. I believe that it's part of how my, my mind wants to keep me safe. And I think that there are responsible ways to think about it and to navigate it and to proceed with it. And that is an effort. It's an effort all of the time. But Prayer helps, meditation helps, journaling helps, talking to my doctors helps, and it's um, it's ongoing. So that is where things stand. That is where things are. If there's anything I didn't talk about that you're curious about, I'm happy to, to go into that. Do not hesitate to reach out. You can message me on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. That's probably the fastest and easiest way, but I wanted to give that update for those of you who are curious. Oh, in terms of cravings. <laughs> Ground beef, interestingly, not just red meat, steaks, meh, that's fine, not really interested. Um, I'll eat them, but like not craving them. Just plain ground beef, I just feel like is the best thing in the world right now, which is so strange because I've not disliked it before, but certainly haven't thought that it's amazing. And then salt, just salt everything, which I think is pretty, pretty common in pregnancy. So that is that. Let me know if you have any questions. Thank you to everybody who has reached out with support, with prayers. It means a lot to me and I'll continue to keep you posted. And now we get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.